Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can turn our eyes upon Jesus. You've told us in Isaiah 9, 6 that he's a wonderful Father, everlasting Father, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And Lord, as we study this together, how frustrated minds can find peace, thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the wisdom you've promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in Acts, the first chapter and the first verse, and you might want to turn with me and we'd read it together. It's speaking of Jesus and his ministry. And the thing that has led me to uh, suggest this text to begin with is I walked into a church one morning for a meeting and I saw a fine-looking gentleman there and I said, uh, are you the pastor? He said, no, I practice. And I said, you know, that, that's good. And so we'll read it here in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all the things that Jesus and all of us together, we'll read the rest, began both, both to, to do, do and, and to teach. teach. So Jesus wa practiced. You know, they speak of physicians as practicing. Uh, in the world in which we live, in the Christian world in which we live, you know, there's, there's a common philosophy that we're to come and listen, but do nothing about it. Maybe, uh, I think your church family is so large and, uh, and really so beautiful, I imagine they're all practicing what you present, Pastor Verstey, but I found a general tendency on the part of all of us, myself included, walk, to walk into a church. I hear a man speak. It's more like a public speaker, you know. We're tempted to approve of certain things and disprove of others. And maybe when we get home to kind of discuss it like we discuss a, a pub public lecturer, you know, and the lecture, instead of realizing that, uh, that religion is something to practice. And so we are going to share with uh, you at this hour and all of us together uh, a practice, some specific practices so that frustrated minds may find peace. First of all, we've just read in Isaiah 9, 6 that Jesus is the <coughs> Prince of Peace. In the 14th chapter of John, and the 27th verse, if you'd like to turn with me, we'll read that Jesus wants to share this with us. This is John 14, 27, I believe. <clears throat> Would you all like to read this with us together? Peace, peace I, I leave with you. you. My, My peace I give unto you. you. Not as the world, world giveth, give I unto you. you. Let not, not your heart be troubled, neither, neither let, let it, it be afraid. afraid. Now you'll notice there are three specific statements here. One is, he said, I, I leave my peace with you. Secondly, I give my peace to you. Thirdly, it's not like the world gives. It's not, ju not just a psychological peace. It's a divine peace coming directly from the Lord to us. And he said, now he said, let not your heart be troubled. So it's evidently within our power to fix our mind on Jesus or fix our mind on trouble. 
I like the way my favorite author has stated in that beautiful book, Education, page 297. It says, when once the gaze is fixed upon Jesus, life finds its center. Oh, how I love that. When once the, the, the gaze is fixed upon him, life finds its center. So I, I, I'm recalling, too, in Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Perhaps you turn with me and read this also. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. And it contains the story of uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And it tells us about how several kings had united in a determination to blot Judah out of existence. We won't go into all that detail, but as they came against Judah, the king saw there was no hope whatsoever. Now, he had the, the privilege either to fix his mind on the negatives. Here are why these people are like the sand of the sea in comparison with us, just a little, just a little remnant. We have no, no hope at all. No, this is what he said. Shall we read it in verse 12 of Second Chronicles chapter 20 together? O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now you see, he did what Jesus later said in so many words, let not your heart be troubled. Again, in, in uh, John, the 14th chapter, you remember, he said, let not your heart be troubled, because you believe in God, now believe in me. So it's up to us to fix our mind either on, on negatives, on the problems, on the disappointments of life, on the shocks that have come to us, or we can fix our gaze on him who is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Yesterday, in our, in our special family get-together, we quoted... Uh, from that beautiful book, The Minister of Healing, page 247. And I was sharing, you recall, how that 31 years ago, as I read that particular series of statements, what it did to me, it said, the, the sick should be patiently and kindly, yet earnestly shown how the whole being may be thrown up open to healing agencies, the whole being. Now, we mentioned yesterday how the being may be open to forgiveness because guilt destroys the soul. It destroys our fellowship, our connection with the Lord. Now, the whole being is the soul and the mind and the body. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter and the 23rd verse mentions the three. Man is made up of the three. Now I said, how am I going to open my mind to healing agencies? And and I came to this conclusion. To throw my mind open to healing agencies, there are many things that I should do. I should fix my mind on the optimistic things of life. I can't fix my mind on the optimistic things of life exclusively at all times unless I have set Jesus before me, as Psalm 16, 8 says. I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand, <clears throat> so I shall not be moved. So we can either choose to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus, his love, his power, or we can fix our mind on the negatives. In that uh, same 
book, Minister of Healing, page 253, I have observed several series of statements that have, they have meant very much to me. It says, if we will fill our hearts with praise and gratitude to Jesus for all his blessings, it says the tongue cannot describe, the imagination cannot depict the blessings that will flow in physical and mental and spiritual healing. If we just, if we'll just think of his blessings and begin to praise him and thank him and rejoice in him. So I said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. Many of you have heard my experience of nerve exhaustion, where I was supposed to have been uh, in bed or tied up, laid up for six months, and how I immediately went into orbit around a Thanksgiving program. I fixed my gaze on Jesus. It was very difficult. I never dreamed that as a minister of 25 years at that time, I never dreamed it would be that difficult to take my mind off of the negatives and all the things that happened to me and put them on Jesus. I was actually embarrassed, Pastor, first day. I, I said, now I'm going to think about the qualities of Jesus, <clears throat> and I'm going to thank the Lord for the qualities of Jesus. And you know, I couldn't think of one. I've learned this, that when a person becomes full of self-pity, <laughs> he, he, he gets so fixed on, on his mind, gets so saturated with self-pity that he can't think of a, a thing good about the, the one who is full of goodness and truth. And I said, oh, Lord, help me. I'm a minister, and I can't even thank the Lord for one good thing. And finally, the Lord came through with this. You can thank him. He was, he was kind to the children. <laughs> and I said, Lord, thank you that Jesus is so wonderful. He was kind to the children. Now, this ability to praise the Lord all stems from the foundation fact of who the Lord is. John 17, 3. Shall we all read it together? John 17, verse 3. And Jesus is here speaking to his Father. <clears throat> and we're talking about life, how to have life, how to get out of, our, uh, out of our worries, you see, and find wonderful life. John 17, verse 3. Shall we read it together? And those of you back home with us. And this is, is life, life eternal. eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Would you like to put with that First Peter, and this was brought to me by the Holy Spirit just yesterday, I believe it was, and I was, I was thrilled to notice how very simply the Holy Spirit has put this. It's Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, Pastor Verste, maybe you would read it while the rest of us listen. All right. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? How do we have peace? How do we have grace and peace? How will grace and peace actually be multiplied to us? Through a knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For a person to seek for peace, to seek to get out of frustration without gaining a knowledge of, of who this is that we can trust. Jesus, our Lord, you see, is emptiness. To go around to people and say, smile now, smile. Smile over what? But when I know that Jesus, my Lord, who is nailed to Calvary, works out everything for my good, Romans 8, 28. Because, and I can know it because he hung on Calvary for me, Romans 8, 32. Then I can really say, Lord, because of my fellowship in Jesus, 
I can rejoice and praise the Lord. By the way, don't you folk have a song, something about what a fellowship? Would you sing that for us? What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Not superficial, you see. Not <coughs> transitory. Thank you so much. And maybe we'll come in on the chorus. My Redeemer, who has brightened all my ways. If I could tell his dying pain and pardon, I'm sure that men would make him theirs today. But I can never tell him as I know him. Human tongue can never tell such love divine. I can but entreat men to accept him. Come and know the joy and peace forever mine. If you'd like to turn with me now to Romans, the fifth chapter, it shows how in Jesus we can enter into this peace. Because, you see, Satan wants us to, to focus our gaze on our mistakes and all of this when we have a right to confess our sins, as we mentioned yesterday. And now notice how as we confess our sins and he forgives us and justifies us, what happens to our thinking? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Shall we all read it together? Therefore, Therefore being, being justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that simple? So we have faith by looking to Jesus. We have, we have peace in beholding him. When we know he's forgiven us, we're coming out of frustration to peace. So it's, it's in fixing our gaze on Jesus. Who is he? He's my salvation. He's my substitute. He's my physician. He's my redeemer. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Think of his wonderful love. Think of what kind of a person he is. Now, <clears throat> many people, as they come to the Lord, <clears throat> out of their sorrow and their bondage in their night, uh, they haven't experienced something like a letter I just received. The lady said, she said, do you know, it's amazing. I gave my heart to the Lord. I found peace in him. She said, I was so happy, I was almost on cloud nine. And she said, and what do you think happened? She said, I've had more trouble than I had before. And then she said, I just can't understand this. And we had to say, the Bible tells us why you have more trouble and why the Lord permits more trouble. And he tells us how to react to this more trouble. And if you'd like to turn to James chapter 1, it will explain why we, the Lord permits a lot of trouble to come to us after we have entered upon a very specific, wonderful fellowship in him. And we've surrendered our lives to him. We've told him that we're his. We've said, Lord, I want to go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I accept you as my personal savior. And then trouble comes. And what are we to say? Why? Why does it come? And how are we to react? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Shall, uh, well, let's read uh, the second and the third and the fourth verses together. My brethren, brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. temptations. Pardon, just a moment. Call it all what? Joy. Joy. When you fall? <laughs> when you fall into all kinds of temptations, we say, why? Next verse. Knowing, Knowing this, that, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and, and entire, wanting nothing. nothing. And you know, in that same setting, 
we have verse 5, and I was preaching for more than 25 years before I ever associated James 1, 5 with James 1, 2 to 4. And here's what it says together. If so any of you, you like wisdom, wisdom let, let him, him ask, ask of God, God that giveth to all men liberally, liberally and upbraideth not, and it and shall be given, given him. In other words, when these trials come, we're to know that the Lord permits them so to develop patience. And if we're trying to figure out what it's all about, we say, Lord, give me wisdom. I, I can't understand what it's all about. And he said, look, you can ask me of wisdom, and I'll give you wisdom. Now, in what way will he give us wisdom to know how to react to all kinds of trouble? This is how he said he'll give us wisdom. In Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 28 and 32, is what the Holy Spirit does in the wisdom line. It's when we say, I can't understand what it's all about. Lord, I'm afraid you've forgotten me. I'm, I'm afraid, Lord, that you've turned your face in the opposite direction. Lord, what is it all about? And again, I want to say this. I had never connected for, for two or three decades in my ministry, I had never connected Romans 8.28 with Romans 8.32. Can you imagine? Here it was, just a few verses after. Now, so verse 32 explains verse 28. Here it is, reading it together. And we, we know, know that all things work together, together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now verse 32, why? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see? I'm to say, Lord, the reason why I know that you're not permitting anything to come to me except that which is for my good, the building up of my patience, the building and development of my character, the reason why I know that this doesn't just happen is you gave your son to die on Calvary. He went through the most terrible humiliations all through his life, climaxing it by hanging on that cross between heaven and earth. That's how I know, Lord. That's how I know that you have everything in your control and you're permitting nothing to come to me except that which is for my good. Uh, several years ago, I was, I was preaching a sermon down in Florida about fixing our gaze on Jesus. And when we realize how Jesus died for us and he takes a personal interest as though we're the only person in all the world, I said, therefore, we have the right. And this is the only basis on which we can really praise the Lord in trouble. And when I was through, a tall elderly man stood. It was rather irregular in a service, you know. We're just ready for our benediction. This tall, uh, stout man stood. And I saw tears in his eyes. And he signaled, signaled me for attention. And I could see that something was deeply on his heart. He said, Brother Kuhn, I want to thank you beyond words for what you've shared with us today. He said, the center of knowing that God is in control is the cross. He said, we never must get our eyes off the cross of Jesus Christ. Only as we fix our gaze on that tremendous, infinite sacrifice can we understand that God is at the helm. Otherwise, we'll think we're creatures of circumstances. And he said, 
Pastor, you might be interested in a quotation. He said that I have found from your favorite author. And he quoted a quotation that later after the meeting, I asked him if he would tell me where it was found. I think it was found in an old issue of the book, of the magazine, Signs of the Times. And I read it and I reread it and I could hardly believe it. But I did believe it. <laughs> but I believed it theoretically, but I, I was struggling. And it went on something like this. The angels themselves, the unfallen angels, today are only kept from apostasy by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. I thought, angels? I thought their probation had closed long ago. I thought they were sealed long ago. Yes, I think they were. But they were sealed in looking to Calvary. That's what sealed them, you see. So they're evidently in the mystery of godliness, there are many things that we can't understand. The Bible makes clear that, that through eternal ages we'll be studying the, 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 the cross of Jesus, the condescension of Jesus, and all the mysteries will not be solved instantly. The angels today are looking into these mysteries. And how did this all happen? And they're only saved today from apostasy because they have been sealed in habitually looking, reenacting, reconstituting the life of Jesus Christ and particularly those closing scenes. And is dying in supreme agony, bearing the weight of the sins of the whole world. You know, that was something, wasn't it? And I said, Lord, if the good angels find that they still have to keep looking to Jesus Christ and Calvary, am I to forget Calvary? And you know, I noticed that when I went through that terrible experience of nerve exhaustion, I had completely, a minister, I had completely forgotten Calvary. That's why when I started trying to think about something in Christ, I, I didn't even think of Calvary first. I'm ashamed. You see, we, we just, somehow we take a lot of things for granted. It's a historical fact. So what? We hear the story so many times. I remember when I was a little boy, my brother Clinton used to sing a little song. I don't know where it was. But I just remember a little, a little measure of it. And it went something like this. And I thought it was strange that so often they tell that story as if it were new. But I found out the reason they love it so well. That old, old story is true. And that is true. Oh, then, as I fixed my mind on the cross, as the angels fixed their mind on the cross, they're saved from apostasy. And let me share this, too, and I'm sure that you all will probably uh, realize and recall this, too. Not one soul who's ever come to me, P Pastor Verstey, and I'm sure you would second the motion, not one soul who's ever come to me in nerve exhaustion or self-pity has ever thanked the Lord for Calvary. They were just as bad as I was. <laughs> they did not, they did not sense Christ's suffering. And that is why they were, they were fainting, you see. Now, if you'd like, we'll turn to uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I've mentioned in some of my other tapes this, but I want to, I would just like to reinforce it. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 4. And I will read this this time as we all prayerfully consider it. 
Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those witnesses revealed in the 11th chapter, who are stoned, sawn asunder, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, afflicted and tormented, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know what that sin is? Doubt. And doubt leads to discouragement. And let us run with patience the, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word author means he is the one who gave us this faith. When we came into the world, we came in a package deal of which faith is a part. The author and the finisher or the developer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this is the, the next verse is the one that the Holy Spirit flashed into my mind at another time I was pitying myself. You know, I'm so glad the Bible says Elijah was a man subject of like passions as we are, aren't you? You know, after you, after you had such a glorious, a glorious victory on Mount Carmel, the next night found him down there, way, way down, far down. All right, verses 4, 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be worried and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus resisted unto blood. He said, you haven't done it. I remember a lady came to us that, that had accepted Jesus and she was, trying to, she, was, she was trying to find deliverance over a bad habit. <clears throat> and one day she would come up to our house about once or twice a day and we'd pray and claim uh, a promise of deliverance. And she said, you know, I've been fighting a terrible battle and I got to pitying myself. And she said, just as I was pitying myself, going really in a focus about myself, she said, the Holy Spirit flashed into my mind these words, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. She said, to think of all that Jesus did and all he suffered, I haven't suffered like him. You see, the, the solution is Christ-centeredness. Now, when we believe that Jesus Christ is taking care of us, then when the trials come, then when tribulation comes, then when we are sawn asunder as, as Isaiah was, if that should be our lot, or in prison walls, or with, uh, or with a harping, carping mate, <laughs> you know, a nagging spouse, or families that are cursing us, if we know Jesus is in control, if we know that he weighs every, every trial before he lets it come to us, then we can rejoice. Now, because of this, those of you who have read our books or listened to our tapes know that in almost every book that we've done, and almost every series of tapes that we've done, we've strongly recommended that our, that our friends will follow a series of statements found in the Bible, 826 texts, that tell us to be happy continually. Like 1 Thessalonians 5:16 says, rejoice evermore. And, and by the way, that text is given to people living in the last days. And again, I was preaching for years before I knew that. First Thessalonians, the, fir the fifth chapter, the first three verses, says it is addressed to people who know the signs of the times. They know that ahead of us a dark tunnel. They know seven last plagues are coming. They know pestilence are coming. 
They know all of this is coming because they, they know the final events. And it says right in, in the middle of that chapter what we should do. Rejoice evermore. If that isn't a paradox, we see all that's happening and we're rejoicing. 826 texts. A little caution, a little caution to all of us. Friends, and I know that Pastor Verstey could be uh, cautioning me, so I'm not cautioning him because I know he's putting into practice. I've done a little research on your pastor who worked pastors. <laughs> not intentionally, but it just came across my pathway. It is this. We should actually... Well, let me tell you about the letter. The lady said, I stopped going to church because I heard in church about the end of all things. She said, I heard it again and again and again. You better get ready. You're getting into the tunnel. One of the plagues is just about ready to go flop. And you're liable to go flop. And you're liable to be fried. The sun is going to scorch, scorch you with... She said, I got so scared I didn't go to church. And then I stayed away from home and I didn't dare stay away from church because I wanted to be ready so I wouldn't go flop. And she said, it threw me into such terrible confusion. Oh, friends, every one of us who names the name of Christ ought to obey Christ's statement in Luke chapter, chapter 21. Shall we turn to it? Chapter 21, verse 26. Luke chapter 21, verse 26. Shall we read it together? It's speaking of the signs preceding Christ's coming. I won't read the context, but now because of all the terrible things that are coming, Jesus said, verse 26, men's hearts failing, failing them, them for, for fear and, and for, for looking after, after those things which, which are, are coming, coming on the earth. For the, the powers, powers of heaven, heaven shall be shaken. And verse 28, and when these, these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Our Lord Jesus Christ has told us that there are two philosophies. There are two gazes, right? One is gazing on the horrible things that are going to take place, and their hearts are filled with fear. They're full of frustration, and the others will obey the Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm looking up. The redemption is taking place. You're soon to come. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. It's a wonderful thing. We're near the end of the whole... Uh, terrible, frustrated experience of the world, and we're going to enter into the joy of our Lord. Two distinct philosophies, even in the Christian world. One philosophy of trembling. You know what happens when, when we try to reform people by scaring them? You know what happens? They conducted a special experiment years ago on a group of dental students. They two, took two separate groups. To one group, they gave uh, a series of lessons on dental hygiene. Uh, they, were, they were emphasizing the things to do. To the other group, they gave some wonderful, horrible pictures of decayed gums and of all the negatives that will happen if you don't care for your teeth. <clears throat> After a number of months, they checked on the two groups. And friends, we have news for you. Those that had been taught under the negatives had made absolutely this much progress. Zero. They froze under the fright. 
They became paralyzed in their thinking under the fright. Those that listened to the positive scientific therapy made tremendous progress. So the way to, to, to heaven is not by saying, do you realize, do you realize if you keep on this kind of a life, you're going to end up in jail. So we jail them. You know, if you carry on like this, the police is going to put his big hand on your shoulder at any moment. So the police puts his hand on their shoulder. No wonder 1 John 4, 17, 18. Shall we read it together and see what it says? 1 John 4, 17, 18. And you remember that John was a loved and loving disciple. And uh, while his ep epistle, his epistles are full of love, they're also full of tremendous information. Uh, John was no sissy. You can rest assured of that. Here it is. Let us begin with uh, the 18th verse. There is no, no fear, fear in love, love but, but perfect, perfect love, love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So we've been teaching people in obeying God's command to let Jesus come into our hearts. You see, because in his presence there's joy, fullness of joy. Not a superficial joy, but a joy found in trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Deliverer, the one that takes care of me, the one that permits certain trials to come to develop my character. So we've suggested for years, make a little list of ten things the first thing in the morning in a column. It might be on a two-inch-by-two-inch two square cardboard. Then put each of these words into a sentence, like, thank you, Lord, for the air, and go down through the list. All day long, say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Then, here's the caution. Between these thank yous, not to let the mind go into orbit around one of these negatives. See, the devil is always there. We had a... Uh, we had a, a, member, uh, a, a member of our church family several years ago that we were sharing this. She was practically a neurotic. And we were sharing with her this 10-point program. And we said, now you'll make this list. Then you'll put each item into a thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the air. Thank you, Lord, for the toothbrush. Thank you, Lord, for teeth to brush. And thank you, Lord, for jaw to hold my teeth in with. And thank you, Lord, for neck to hold my jaw up with. And write whatever. Make it easy. Make it super nice and just keep going through that. A few days later, she said, it hasn't helped me at all. Not at all. I said, tell me this. How do you do it? She said, I say, Lord, thank you for the air. Lord, how in the world can I be happy when I've got a boy on drugs? I said, now I want to give you a little formula. The, the success of this depends on the length and the intensity of the thank you and the elimination of the negative between the thank yous. I said, what you did, you spent, say, five seconds in thanking the Lord, but not with much intensity. Then you spent another five seconds in deep intensity. How can I thank the Lord when I have a boy on drugs? And I said, the big thank you, Lord. I can't thank the Lord when I have a boy on drugs. It canceled the other all out and some beside. It was worse than though you'd never started. She said, thank you. <laughs> She, and then later I heard her sharing with another member of our church family this very truth. She said, where I made my mistake, she said, I would say thank you, 
And before I got to the next thank you, I let the old devil come in. And I started brooding over some things that led me to self-pity. She said, you can't do that. You can't do that and find health and strength coming. This is based on, uh, on Minister of Healing, page 253. It says we should educate our mind and our lips to speak his praise. And this is what the Lord wants us to do. Now, this is from a mental standpoint. But friends, with that, in order for us to find peace and keep on finding peace, we need also to study some physical laws. God says the body is a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. And the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. How in the world can the Holy Spirit fill us with joy when we have Armageddon in our stomach? <laughs> you see? Armageddon in the stomach and Mount of Olives in the mind? <laughs> no, no. So there are certain physical principles <laughs> for joy and peace. Uh, I'm just going to ask uh, some of you some of these principles, you know, there's exercise, there's diet, there's uh, deep breathing, there's oxygen, there's sleep, uh, there's abstemiousness, and so on. Very simple principles that have a lot to do with keeping us out of this frustration. Uh, Pastor, of uh, some of these secrets, I notice that, you, uh, <laughs> that you're not obese. <laughs> Would you tell me uh, one or two of these secrets? I know you're putting them into effect. I do weigh about uh, 25 pounds less than I used to, by the way, and I think probably the main reason is because I've tried to get a little more exercise than I used to get. Well, that's fine. Maybe you, uh, what do you do, take some 10 minutes of calisthenics maybe in your home or something? I try to run in the morning. Uh, nearly every morning I run about six miles. And, six uh, miles? <laughs> Do you mean you make that as a, as a, as a practice? Yes. Uh, thus far, uh, oh, the last 15 days or so, I guess I've missed just one. So I want to run at least six out of the seven days every week. Have you? How long have you been uh, practicing this? I've been running most of the time, not quite as long as now, but most of the time about the last 10 years or so. But just the last few months, I've been going a little farther, and I've been a little more consistent than I used to about it. When you started, uh, about how far did you run? The doctors I, tell us that a person that's not uh, accustomed to that heavy exercise should start maybe just a couple blocks. Of course, being a younger man... I started when I... Uh, read an article in the Reader's Digest and there was a test by which individuals could measure their own physical condition. And I thought, well, I'm still pretty young and I'm, I'm going to be able to pass this test with flying colors. But I didn't come out too well and it really concerned me and so I started with, I think, about a mile, not going very fast, but a, a mile or so a day. And gradually built up. Yes. There are a couple other benefits, too, uh, in addition to keeping the weight down. It has, has really helped me to, to just, I think, release the tension in my mind. My work is uh, a lot of driving in the car and sitting at a desk and studying. And I've found that this exercise in the morning just does so much to release the tension that I may, may have built up in my system. Also, it gives me a time to just think and contemplate the blessings of the Lord that He's given to me. So I just have really appreciate it. I've noticed also the, uh, 
my pulse rate has gone down when I'm at, when I'm at rest from about 72 or 74 to in the high 50s. So I, I think it's doing me some good physically as well. If that isn't tremendous. By the way, one of the seven natural remedies that, are, that is uh, recommended in the book Minister of Healing is, is trust in God. Uh, you'll forgive me if I tell our friends. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus arose a great while before day and went out and prayed. I understand that when the Lord's holy day comes, that you come down to your office a little earlier? Am I right? Somebody told me you came come down about 4.30 or 5. Is that right? The last few years I, I have been getting up earlier on my day of worship, uh, all the way from about a quarter to 4 until uh, 4.30, I guess. Somewhere in there I usually get up. Now, do you, do you walk? Uh, do you run also that morning? I usually don't. Uh -huh. I, uh, I've been told perhaps my mind would stay clear if I did, but I usually reserve that day for, for studying prayer in the morning and, and think about my duties for that day. And, Pastor, I'm not buttering you up, but that time with the Lord, we have several witnesses as to what the Holy Spirit is doing through your ministry, and I praise the Lord. Uh, let's, uh, let's ask uh, Damon... Uh, some of these uh, principles, one of the principles has to do with abstemiousness. I notice that you aren't particularly obese <laughs> either, <laughs> and uh, I have not had the privilege of meeting you until just a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm wondering, do you feel that maybe one of the reasons that you're able to keep so slender is maybe you use a good quantity of tobacco? No, that's not one of the things that keeps me in shape. It isn't? No. You don't smoke at all? No, I don't. Did you ever smoke? No. Never used uh, nicotine in any form? No. It never appealed to me. My mother was a heavy smoker all my life. I wasn't raised an Adventist, by the way. Um, that only happened about six years ago. But my mother smoked heavily all my life, and it just drove me crazy. And it never appealed to me. And after I moved out on my own, I just, you know, it never appealed to me. I never smoked. What about the social drink? Maybe that has kind of kept you in shape. No, that hasn't either. No. <laughs> you don't drink? No, I don't. Have you never drunk? Oh, I have. But you found that you, you find it, it didn't help too much? I, I got <laughs> drunk a couple of times a long time ago, about seven years ago, I guess now. And uh, that... Taught you a lesson? To, to, <laughs> to not be in control of my senses was the most repulsive thing I've ever experienced. And that's one thing I just do not like. I, drugs or alcohol, anything that uh, radically alters your, your perceptions and your senses uh, does, does me no good, and I, I don't like it. So you'd recommend to young people what? It's not worth it. It, it, uh, it, it has no benefit. And maybe like up in the mountains. No, <laughs> certainly no health benefit. Somebody up in the mountains says that isn't where it's at. <laughs> right. Thank you. Now you have a lovely wife next to you. I'm going to ask her. Uh, tell me now, one of the uh, one of these seven or eight uh, natural remedies is rest. Uh, how about you? Do you uh, do you get rest? I can see you have a. A wonderful twinkle in your eyes. I believe you really are in love with Jesus. 
Yes, I am. <laughs> he said, come unto me and, and you'll find rest. Do you, uh, oh, yeah. do you find that rest is helpful to you? Yeah, I need a lot of sleep myself, and uh, I try to get it. Thank you. Maybe I ought to tell a story right now, an experience of a lady that came to us. I think I've told it a dozen times. I imagine it's in two or three of our books. But it's so important. Rest is so important. Here we've got exercise on one side, and here we have abstemiousness. But rest is so important. People come to me and they say, I, I'm so frustrated, I lose my temper. And one of the first questions I ask, are you getting exercise? And are you getting rest? And I remember one lady said, I just can't take time to get rest. And I said, well, it's very important. I said, I belong to a very tempestuous family. And the doctor told us to walk up to five miles a day. And he told of the release it would bring and then get rest. This lady said, I can't go to sleep. I cannot lie down till 12 o'clock. And I have to get up at six o'clock. I said, that's only six hours. And you're asking the Lord to take care of your frustrations? She said, it just cannot be. She said, I can't go to bed till everybody's in bed. Then I go around and clean up the windows and put everything in place, you know. And I climb into bed about 12 o'clock. Why do you get up at six? She said, I have to have everything in perfect shape before the people get up. I said, that's six hours. And you're asking God to get you out of frustration and a peace? And every time I would, I would exclaim yeah. kindly and sweetly, as sweetly as I could, she would keep insisting, I must, I, I'm, I must keep the house this way. So finally I did something that <laughs> I don't do. Uh, I don't think I ever did it before or since. I said, well, sister, you're going to die. <laughs> Can you imagine? Talking about <laughs> negatives. <laughs> I said, sister, you're going to die. And I said, and then about a year from then, your husband is going to marry, marry a nice young lady, and she's going to enjoy that neat house of yours. And with that, I had a little word of prayer and excused her. About three nights later, she came back, her face beaming. She said, Pastor, I've made a resolution. No young woman is going to enjoy my house. I'm going to get my sleep. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> now, next to you, uh, Mary Lou, is Dottie Verstey. And Dottie, by the way, for our listening audience, Dottie is the first lady of the Garden Grove Church here. Her husband is the pastor, and we call the wife the first lady. She's the queen of the church. And we appreciate so much the fact that you and your husband will take time out to be with us in these little family gatherings. Uh, Dottie, uh, you've heard about these various uh, uh, principles of, of healing. Uh, among them, uh, what would you say impresses you that you you like to, shall I say, put into your life? Pastor Kuhn, could I butt in on that? Yes. Uh, Dottie just the other day mentioned to me that she's been married longer than she was single. So by now, I really know her qualities. Right. And I think the thing that has really impressed me has been her cheerful attitude. That's what I really appreciate. And I think that spirit of cheerfulness and positive attitude has really kept her healthy. And that's what this whole gathering is all about. I'd just like to say, Elder Kuhn, that you mentioned an affection for the book Ministry of Healing, and I share that affection. 
about three years ago, the Lord gave me a valentine. It was February 14, so I call it my valentine from him. And he says in this promise that he invites us to cast all our care upon him, for he carries us upon his heart. So he's on my mind, and I'm on his. Well, thank you, thank you. By the way, we have a song, Does Jesus Care? How about singing that for us? Maybe we can come in on the chorus. This 10-point program of giving thanks, educating our hearts, our lips to speak his praise. And on the same page in that beautiful book, The Ministry of Healing, page 253, it, it gives a, a couple other series of statements. It says, when somebody asks us how we feel, don't try to pick up of something mournful to tell them so that we can elicit their sympathy. And the next series of statements has to do with, it says, don't tell about the power of the devil. It says, Satan delights to hear these words, you know, because he is the prince of the power of the air. He wants us to say, did you just hear what the devil is doing? Oh, how he loves that. But instead of that, we were to say, have you just heard what the Lord is doing? He's wonderful. We're to talk about his love. This 10-point program we recommend strongly to all our friends. Uh, a medical doctor whom I've known for several years who went through a very uh, horrendous experience. And I thank the Lord that he sent us into his life just at the propitious time. He learned about this 10-point program and he told me that he made a list of 10 things the first day, another the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth. And as he could, through the day, he would be thanking the Lord and thanking the Lord. He said at the end of five days, he himself was a different personality. He had been so discouraged, he was almost ready to go down the drain. I know of several medical doctor friends of mine who are using this 10-point program for their patients. Uh, one of the uh, medical doctor friends of, of ours is actually sharing these healing sessions with their patients. One of us of them told us how a patient shared some of these. We're now just revising them so they can go on video, you see. And he said a patient shared it with him, and he was astonished. This is what he was longing for. I remember a lady contacted us who was in our meetings. She lived maybe 25 miles away. She called me, and she said, I'm at that stage of life where I'm going through some horrendous experiences. Would that help me, too, in this particular period of life? I said, God says so. Try it. It will work. It did work. And she said, thank the Lord for this praise program. And now, friends, we're going to say adieu by thanking the Lord. And Lord, thank you that you've said the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord will lift up his countenance upon us and give us all and you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.